they say like sauce pan as you should then they would know exactly and that's what we should be so careful about saying things <laughs> the wrong way <laughs> what do you call this orange fluid i call this it orange dilute, dilute. <laughs> must exterminate <laughs> pew, pew, pew. last time on ducks and caps jack walked us through the prisoner's dilemma and very nicely segued into roboethics. We talked a little bit about the Cuban Missile Crisis and like the, the, the philosophy and ethics of what do you do when you have two players and should you cooperate, should you betray? Yeah, and some of the just... questions, well, maybe maybe if I recap on some of the, the open-ended questions that, that we, yeah, kind of, we kind of concluded on or that, that we talked about at the mm -hmm. end. So um, is, is AI subject to the moral code of its programmer? Does creating successful AI give you the right to decide its moral code? Um, and then can machine learning create its own moral code distinct from its programmer and kind of what what does that mean and i think we kind of there's, there's some definitions online which which you know i've kind of taken at face value but you know might be wrong but sort of the idea that roboethics is um the concern with the moral behaviors of humans as they design construct and use artificial intelligence so what humans do to artificial intelligence and machine ethics is concerned with the moral behavior of artificial moral agents amas so this is kind of the machines i guess if they decided their own as well and then if you raised a really good point of what are the ethics regarding how humans should treat artificial intelligence and, and robots and, and kind of where does that where does that stand or where, where should we stand with that so i think that's kind of where we're picking up yeah i mean it is a huge topic there's so much to it and i thought I would maybe just pick out a couple of areas that are super interesting to me. I think this could be a huge, a huge series in itself, to be honest, because there's so much to it. But when I think of roboethics at a surface level, I think of things like killer robots in war, like that Black Mirror episode, mm. you know, the robots like hunting people down, really like horrible, chilling stuff to think about. Also healthcare, the use of robots and AI and uh, inbuilt prejudice in healthcare as being a, a real ethical issue yeah 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 um using um, all the data that was for like a certain demographic and yeah that's yeah. really interesting sort of like the moral code you mentioned the moral code of a robot is only ever as good as its programmer at this point obviously looking to the future as you said it's like could a robot develop its own moral code um but definitely the the two facets of the ethics and morals of robots themselves and ai versus how we treat them so on that on that latter part how we treat robots this is really interesting because there actually is loads of research about how we react to robots and like empathy we have for robots because there are concerns that if we keep introducing robots into manufacturing even at this point where they're not sentient as far as i'm aware they're just, you know, <laughs> they're there for well, a Well, I'm purpose. doing a blooming good job if you don't think I'm safe. <laughs> boop, boop, All right, data. <laughs> um, but actually, that when people see robots being treated badly, it really affects you um, emotionally. I mean, um, something that comes to mind is uh, the Cassini mission. Like, 
you I don't know, know if we can bring that up again. I don't even know if that's <laughs> like that's a whole thing in of itself. But you know, I yeah. you know, we were both, you know, yes. that bit hurt. It 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 yeah. I definitely felt something for Cassini. Still do. Yeah. If I listen to Absolutely. Saturn, I'm there like Cassini. To correct itself. <laughs> just wanted to send the images back. It's like, no. <laughs> Am I a good robot? Yeah. Have I done Cassini well? Death, death Are you proud responded. of me? You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> it hurtles into a planet. <laughs> oh gosh, Jesus. I can't can't go over it again. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I say this a lot, but I did write an essay, <laughs> an article in my neuroscience <laughs> series, where I did talk about uh, robots and empathy. It was in the context of MRI studies, so it was more to do about how MRI works and fmri side note did you know that an mri scanner has a magnetic field sixty thousand times stronger than the earth i didn't but it makes a blooming loud noise so it isn't surprised yeah. have you been at the mri they're so loud i haven't but there are those pictures aren't there of when people have accidentally bought like a, a gurney in or whatever yeah, yeah, and, like and it gets like sucked into them. it yeah, I was terrified. Crazy. Of that. I, remember, I remember someone telling me, but I've had a few for various reasons. And they were like, have you got anything metallic? And I was like, no. And they were like, good, because that's a giant magnet. And if you've got anything in your body, it will come straight through you. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just lie down in this claustrophobic <laughs> okay. circular thing spinning around. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, man, they are loud. But there was this study in 2013 where they were looking at MRI scanners. And it was to do with empathy and robots and Long story short, they basically played videos to a person in an MRI scanner, and there were six videos. So it was a human being treated nicely and a human being sort of like tortured slash treated really horribly. And then they did the same thing again, but with a cardboard box as a control. So like a clearly inanimate object. And then a robot dinosaur, a really cute one. So they're like petting the dinosaur and they're like punch and like tear the dinosaur and stuff. And Amazingly, they found that the part of your brain that lights up in an MRI scanner when you see a human being treated horribly also lights up when you see a robot being treated horribly, which is, I mean, the implications of that are, are massive in terms of boring stuff like workplace safety and, you know, the, uh, the ethics of, of how you engage in a workplace that has robots in, that robots need to be treated and like maintained in a good way because if they're abused or um just you know not treated nicely especially as they become more and more like anthropological um it genuinely really affects people emotionally which is it's huge like, i don't think i'd like that there's there was a robot i can't remember which one it was and um i remember watching a video about it and one of the the sort of key factors of this specific robot i think it was out in japan um was that you could you could essentially kick it and it would write itself so it had the the sort of i don't want to let legs i guess um that if you kind of kicked it around it would be able to still stand up and it would kind of you know take a i don't want to say take a beating but it would be mm. able to write itself whereas a lot of them if you sort of toppled it over then you had to pick it back up but it just wasn't nice to watch i remember watching and there was like this whole thing and they were like look it's great because it can sustain its balance and we've done all this amazing mm. stuff but it was just kicking this robot and i was like leave it alone I was like, What's it yeah. done to you? 
it's weird isn't it but it does it does affect you. you you see it as like that's objectively not right even though it's a robot it has no feelings it has no nervous system it still doesn't feel right yeah i don't yeah it doesn't feel right um i don't yeah i don't know why um but it doesn't feel it's right strange I think. though but then i think it's is it's what was it what you're saying about how sort of anthropological it is or how you know uh, anthropomorphic i think anthropomorphic. it is but if how, it looks yeah, like a how how if it looks like not necessarily a human but like an animal mm. um of some sort then you would you would sort of feel feel sympathy towards it and yeah when, when actually we talked about this the first thing that came to my head was um you know you know charlie and the chocolate factory the one uh mm-hmm. the more recent one and yeah. charlie's dad gets replaced at the toothpaste factory by a robot that screws on toothpaste lids faster than he can in that film i don't feel bad for the robot i'm like this robot oh, bless you <laughs> i'm like this robot has stolen charlie's dad's job and I don't feel bad about it. I think one of the reasons why is because it's just an arm. Like it's it's just, it doesn't have sort of any kind of animalistic traits. It just looks like an arm. Maybe, yeah, maybe if it was, if it looked more like something else, then I'd be like, oh, well, you know, you, you know, you've probably got your own little robot kids to feed at home. You know, you're just doing a hard day's work. <laughs> <laughs> like I think the way that I reacted would be very different. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a super fascinating area. But I suppose going more back to the roboethics and the sort of laws of it, are you familiar with the three laws of robotics? Is it a book out in like 1930-something? So the, the close, yeah, I mean, I mean, very close. The three laws of robotics are also known as Asimov's laws and i'm pretty sure that that robot you were talking about in japan is called asimo i've definitely come across the three the three laws of robotics and i thought it might have been when i was doing this before i'm gonna google it um so it's a it's a list made up by the sci-fi writer isaac asimov in the 1940s the 40s yeah yeah, same yeah. yeah and it comes up all the time in pop culture and when you were saying about the prisoner's dilemma and roboethics and the Cuban Missile Crisis, this this is sort of what predated just that uh, wave of like uh, machine ethics in things like the prisoner's dilemma. And it's really influential when it comes up a lot in these kind of thought conversations. You also mentioned Roko's Basilisk earlier and Asimov's writing is a massive influence for the Less Wrong Wiki for, uh, Forum, the like thought forum, Less Wrong which is the, the birthplace of Roko's Basilisk. So it's sort of like really links uh-huh. in with that as well. Um, but the, there's three laws. The first one is that a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second is that a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human, except where such orders would conflict the first law. So if a human mm. orders it to hurt another human, that would not happen. And yeah. the third is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as the protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Um, and then Asimov, so this is basically a, a, a series called the Robot Series that he writes, a sci-fi series of novels. And this, these three laws underpin the way that the robots behave in the series. Um, later, he added a zeroth law, which goes before one, two, and three, which is that a robot may not harm humanity or 
by inaction allow humanity to come to harm and they're like safety features that are built in all the robots that appear okay, so what was the first the one about was the first one so so the change is humanity rather than human between yeah, zeroth so and first the first one is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm and then it's not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm okay so it's yeah a really big part of his literature and throughout his books there's this theme of robots behaving in quite bizarre ways as a result of trying to like balance those rules so they'll right. sort of do things that are like sort of they're being told to do something but can't cause harm and there's sort of like weird loopholes and things really really interesting and then there's this massive follow-on literature on the back of these books about ambiguities and loopholes and it gets very philosophical um like for example if a human sorry if a robot does not knowingly injure a human or knowingly break a rule then that's a workaround so if you tell a robot to shoot a human then they won't but if you tell them to bomb a location that based on all evidence only contains a weapon stash and no humans yeah then that's okay someone there yeah um yeah, and then there was this whole debate about how robots and humans are even defined. So Asimov writes a book called The Naked Sun, and in that the robots are on a planet called Solaria, and they believe, they're told, they're programmed, that humans are only human if they have a Solarian accent. So they then come into contact with humans that don't speak with the accent of their planet. So if they, they say, them. like, source pan, as you should then they would know exactly and that's why we should be so careful about saying things <laughs> the wrong way <laughs> what do you call this orange fluid i call this it orange dilute, dilute. <laughs> must exterminate <laughs> so the u.s military is a major funder of robo of roboethics my god <laughs> robotic research globally yeah unsurprisingly obviously loads of work in in drones military and robots yeah. and really dodgy stuff and the british author david langford basically adjusted the three laws to like reflect that investment so it was number one a robot will not harm authorized government personnel but it will terminate <laughs> intruders with extreme prejudice <laughs> Number two, a robot will obey the orders of authorized personnel, except where such orders conflict with the third law. And the third law is a robot will guard its own existence with lethal anti-personnel weaponry because a robot is bloody expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like, perfect. that's exactly it. So yeah, so it's really interesting. And obviously it leads into a lot of like modern pop culture, modern sci-fi and I mean, even I think I read that like in South Korea, they introduced quite a lot of in the early like 2000s introduced some sort of like AI regulation that basically was was this in many ways. But it shows you, doesn't it, the loopholes and how specific you have to be when you're programming robots. There is no room for. That's the thing. Like we, right? we know we know from, you know, other other industries and other areas that the regulators are, are constantly playing catch up like you can't. You can't regulate before you innovate type of thing. Um, and it's so hard for them to, to be able to be aware of, of all of this stuff. I mean, even like, you know, when, when Facebook came around and suddenly they had everyone's data and the US government only, you know, 15 years later were like, oh, 
actually, we don't think that you should have everyone's data, you know, across the world. And they were like, oh, okay, well, we got it now. Um, and I guess, you know, it's even, it's even harder with, with technology that you don't quite know about and like what, what's going to happen with robots. Um, but I think it's, it, that kind of links on to, to, I think one of the questions that I talked about earlier, which is something that I, I, I still think about a lot, which is, if you if you create a robot right if the us government spends millions billions of dollars trying to create these robots does that give them the right to decide how they should be used and i reckon that they'll be like yes they're going to go in and you know kill intruders or i can't remember what you said like anti-americans non-patriots um, <laughs> that would be exactly it they're going to enforce the first and the third amendment with extreme prejudice yeah and they'd be like uh this robot has the right to bear arms nra (laughs) membership included um (laughs) but but i think i don't know it it, for me i'm like it my, my my initial gut instinct is is no i'm like surely it's too much power there's no checks and balances if whoever creates the robot can also basically decide what moral compass they follow. Um, I don't know how they should do it, but my, my immediate thought is like, I don't know, that's scary because if someone, so you, you've got the three laws, if mm-hmm. someone's like, yeah, so what? Don't care. Not, not part of it. Mine's a, you know, a, a gun toting maniac. Um, who's going to stop them well, i so, guess um, slightly not related but this sort of moral global humanity dilemma i think we're seeing unfold literally at the moment with china and space exploration where a lot of western countries or maybe in fact all western countries that deal in space exploration nasa the esa um the isa they all is the isa real the italian space agency is that right NASA, the ESA, other Western space exploration companies, they have very strict regulation about the way that they deal with space and that they don't leave wreckage in space or, you know, it's as small as possible and that satellites have to be approved and agreed um, and funding is sort of shared and cooperative. And yet China operates its own space program, understandably, but does not do so transparently. So I don't know if you've seen in the news about space wreckage sort of falling down and landing in places because they don't yeah, they don't operate that. their 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 launches the way that the other countries do, and you know in Europe and in America it's like we have no idea when something will fall down that China have have put up there because they don't they don't act in a transparent and cooperative way like we yeah. try to do with Western. And that's just such a massive risk, especially because if it's you know orbiting and then comes into the you know, stratosphere you're covering it could land anywhere you know hopefully it would be in the sea um apart from our you know our poor fish friends hopefully not not where they are um but yeah no that i mean that's that's terrifying <laughs> the yeah. idea that something could just hurtle through hurtle through space and you know come crashing in at any moment kind of kind of like again what we talked about with cassini when they were like well you know they had a nuclear fission reactor mm. powering it that could go off at any time um but yeah no I, I i yeah that is that is worrying um super political isn't it um and something else i've been reading about is 
Are you familiar with the transhumanist movement by any chance? I'm not. I'm not. Um, please enlighten me. So, really, so well, there are really prominent transhumanists. I, I can't actually think of any names right now, but um, they really support the law of robotics, um, sort of incorporating the law of robotics into this idea in transhumanism of corporate intelligence, which is what the trans humanist movement believes is our future corporate intelligence which is where big companies are run by ai and robots and like manufacturing is done by robots and ai manage the company and it's effectively disconnected from human uh interference in a good way they see it as like that you know this is this is what we're going to evolve to so that we don't have to be involved in the like nitty-gritty of you know running a running a corporation or whatever um but it's a it's an enormous movement and I don't know tons about it, but it ties in with futurism and was particularly popular in the 1960s. And then like British academic thought in the 1990s, really sci-fi, really like London uni. Um, and I think at its core, for many of the people who are associated with it, the academics, it's the idea of retaining and more importantly, regaining youth and improving cognitive ability through the use of sophisticated technology that we have to a point where we become post-human. So it's like using technology to, you know, it's sort of like putting a brain in a robot, that, that sort of a thing at its, mm. at, its, at its extreme. So it's about overcoming human limitation, replacing things I mean, that we this, don't this need. This sounds a lot like, um, what's the, oh, what's the film, the thriller? I've gone such a long way around to find Jordan Peele is the director and the film is Do you know Jordan Peele? No, I don't think so. The film is Get Out. The horror. The horror. Ah. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. But the idea that you want to overcome the limitations yeah. of youth by moving yeah. your your sort of conscience into a, a younger yeah you're right exactly well it's like that but a little bit less sinister i would say because it's about using <laughs> robots and like machinery and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but to them it's sort of like the deepest hope of humanity is remaining young you know fear of dying and growing old and you know leaving your family behind so to them it's a very righteous ethical proper cause mm. um and they're really in support of, of a lot of these ideas of things like you know the, the three the three laws of, of robots but as a field it's it's broader so they also talk about overcoming humanity's existential dilemma things like overpopulation and nuclear war but the major criticisms are just very philosophical if we improve our cognitive ability and we extend our life we remove genetic neurodevelopmental defects, as they would say, then are we just destroying our own humanity? Is that not what makes us human to have yeah, sort of like have flaws. a set? Yeah. yeah, to have flaws, to have limit to our life, to, you know, the way that we perceive yeah, the world. I think is it makes how you we appreciate other things, doesn't it? Yeah. So therefore, religious critics would say that transhumanism as a movement is just like grossly immoral because it, it's just undoing everything that makes us human whereas they would see it as these things are going to happen ai is going to happen robots are going to happen they are going to be 
living longer than us. So we either participate in that society or we step yeah. back from it. It's going to happen either way, which is food for thought, isn't it? It's, it's mm. an interesting thing to think about. How do you feel about that? Do you think AI takes over and runs these corporate intelligence companies that we should just bow down and, and step back and let it be? Or do you participate and evolve? I think, I think my... I think participate and evolve is the first thing that kind of resonates with me and the idea that you, we, we kind of know loosely what the future will hold. Um, but I think that I, I would like to see, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is Rocco's basilisk. Um, I would like to think that we will be able to participate and grow in the future alongside ai in whatever capacity that that may be in the same way that i think if i put myself back you know before electricity you know before um the the computer the internet all that sort of stuff and i'm sure that there was kind of a, a very skeptical view of what could happen and being like no 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 no, no. it's going to take away from the current way of life and we don't want to do that and it hasn't it's just you know it's just changed it you just adapt and you live in a different way and i think that that will be the same with with ai um i i can see i don't know about the whole kind of corporations thing you know whether they'll be able to run them efficiently and what that means because i think part part of how uh you know the market works is by humans making choices which will not necessarily be rational i don't think that we're always rational actors and if you had ai then maybe they would be programmed to be rational actors which would then skew the market in a certain way i don't know if it would work in the same way but um the idea of having big corporations um and you know having ai integrated within that and humans playing their part i think will definitely you know i i'd think that would be great <laughs> um it'll be a whole a whole new world a whole new adventure that, that we would all be a part of um so i think i'd be i'd be keen for that but this is also because my overlord in 40 years time thank you 7xy ash <laughs> i couldn't remember what um what elon musk's elon daughter musk. yeah it's ash isn't it it's something ash yeah yeah but I think yeah I think you're exactly right it's loads of opportunity but for me the question about AI robotics and humanity is so fascinating because you know it's like say you lose your arm in an accident or, or are born without an arm and you replace it with a 3d printed arm a very impressive engineered one that gives you the ability to use an arm are you less human I don't think so. I don't think many people would say that you're less human if you have a robotic arm. Okay, if you have a a heart attack and, you know, we're at a point in the future where you don't just have to have a quadruple bypass, you can actually have a fully mechanical heart, not, you know, infinite life, but you can replace your heart with a mechanical heart that keeps you going. It's not going to yeah. stop you from aging, but it's keeping you alive. Are you less human then? No, I guess that yeah, it comes down to like, at what, or what point are you more yeah, at what point are you more human? Um, and that's why they describe it as post-human, being at a point where we are beyond the limitations of our like current form. And it's not about escaping humanity, it's about becoming yeah, enhancing an, an it. adapted, yeah, an adapted yeah. humanity. Yeah, because I can imagine the, the thing that comes to mind is sport, right? And if you had someone who has, I don't know, like uh, two, they've, they've lost both their legs and they get given robotic legs that work incredibly well, 
but work incredibly well because they are so powerful that they can win the 100 meter sprint in you know half time that uh, someone that hasn't got robotic legs could do it um and i guess that's the kind of the idea of post-human like are they are they still are they less human are they more human are they you know i guess probably post-human um and how that comes in how we measure ourselves but it's super interesting like, i don't know the answers but that is fascinating there's so yeah. so much that you can talk about with that it forces you to really challenge yourself doesn't it because i think instinctively a lot of people myself included are very skeptical of this sort of transhumanism because it does seem extreme but it makes you think you know what is it that makes you human is it your body okay well if you took your consciousness if that were even possible and put it in another body because your you know your your body was completely broken you're in an accident you can't use your body you're paralyzed but you take your brain and you put it in another body and you're conscious i mean neuroscience would tell you that to some degree you probably would be the same person the same personality assuming that your brain was okay yeah but are you are you not human then are you not the same person yeah, it, it reminds me sort of some, something, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Memento, the Chris Nolan film. No, I haven't actually. So, so in that, I, don't know I, won't, what you're talking about. I won't give too much away, but in it, um, the, the person is suffering from short-term memory loss and they, they, um, they get tattoos of sort of significant things on their body. Um, and I remember, I remember learning about it and there's a, there's a sort of a theory, it's Clark and Chalmers and it's the extended mind theory. And it's the idea that you can use other things. So if you use your phone to remember Charlie's number, right, you don't, you don't know it anymore, but use your phone. Is that an extension of your mind because you're relying on it to basically find something that you actually mm -hmm. know, but you just can't contact. Um, and I guess that's kind of in my head sort of similar as in at what point can you, detract things from who you are um at what point does it make you you know something else or someone else or not not human um but yeah i don't know if they, if they put my my brain if i put if i put my brain in someone else's body how would i would i still be me i don't know just pause for one second i just want to quickly check something before i say it i think i have it open still yeah, I've got it. Okay. <clears throat> Have you heard of Connectonomics? Co Connectomics? Uh, I have not. I've heard of Connect4. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar, basically the same thing. But Connectomics, it's like genomics. It's a, it's a study of the brain within sort of like neuroscience and engineering and, and all that good stuff. And it's a project to completely map in a program all the connections of the brain like all the connections the synapse connections and it, people are doing it as in like trying to find out how all the neurons interact with each other and there's a series on youtube i can't remember what the like new site is that runs it it's called five levels the series where it's great if you if you haven't watched it, it's great they basically get an expert on in a field like one of them is like quantum computing. There's a guy that talks about connectomics and they get the expert to talk to five levels of people. So it's like a child in school, like a young child, mm. then like a high schooler, someone who's just started a degree, someone who's doing like a postgraduate degree and then like an industry field expert that's like on a level with them and they get them to explain it. And it's amazing seeing an expert explain quantum computing to like 
a child yeah (laughs) and then getting increasingly complicated and often I'm like I understand when you explain it to the child in the high school (laughs) but then you've lost me (laughs) and this guy talks about connectomics and he says he sits down with particularly the like uh degree level people and he says you know if you map the brain completely all the synapses and the connections it is that brain a person because it has all the connections that create your personality, your emotions, your memories, your feelings. And you could hypothesize that if you have all those connections, you could look into that, that programmed brain and find a memory, for example. Is that a person? Is that what artificial intelligence is? And these people are just like, my, my mind is. And then what he explains, and I just, this like really stuck with me is if you model, simulate, a hurricane in a program with all of the exact conditions in, in a huge complicated com- uh, program computer that has all the, the the conditions and the factors that go into this hurricane in a complex weather system nobody would say that the inside of that computer is going to be wet even though you've simulated a hurricane that that's something else that you can't capture in a computer mm. And is that the same thing if you model the human brain and all yeah. the connections and all the, of the complexities? And I guess like the religious side of people would say like, you know, like a soul, right? You know, you can't yeah. capture a soul. Um, I don't know what, I don't know how, how else it would be described, but, um, you know, your, your, your mind versus your brain, um, you know, should, would you have a personality if you connected all the, all the synapses? What would be your favorite joke? um so so then what is it what is it that makes us humans if it's not if it's not all of those chemical and electrical reactions in our brain if you if you modeled all of them exactly you'd have personality you'd have all your learning you'd have your memories potentially but it it wouldn't be a human in a box so then what is it that makes us human (laughs) (laughs) we're just two brains talking about modeling brains thinking about robot brains <laughs> <laughs> oh wow well that was amazing i think my my brain is needs a rest <laughs> yeah it's intense isn't it but great topic yeah fantastic i think we should um we should come back to this another time definitely anyone... well thanks for introducing it as a topic well mate thanks for elaborating on it thanks for telling me everything that you know i'm now going to go and tell 100 more people um if any of the if any of the listeners out there have any thoughts of of what we've discussed today um or if you just want to send in some beers you know anything anything really um <laughs> looking at you bud light <laughs> looking at you bud light thank you um then feel free um but yeah no, i think i think we should we should review it another time there's a there's a lot to be explored here yeah for sure man that was really great thanks for your time and uh i look forward to catching up with you one yeah see you on the next podcast bye bye